where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Uh, Today we're looking at Series 9, Episode 15, which is The Wedding Bell Blues. Yes, Uh, named after the song by The Fifth Dimension, which was released in 1969. So fun fact to kick us off, this episode aired on the 31st of January, 1991. It was directed by James Burroughs and written by Dan O'Shannon and Tom Anderson. There's only two words I have to summarise this episode. Rebecca's wedding. That's all you need. It it could be, and we'll discuss, can you call a wedding a wedding if it does or doesn't complete? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I understand your question, but it's too philosophical. (laughs) It's too early in the episode for that. So, hello, James. How are you? I am all right. Yes, I enjoy the summer. But uh, I don't know if the summer enjoys me. It affects the sinuses. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm also a sufferer of the uh, the nose lurgy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, hay fever, we call it here. Pollen allergies. Yeah, affects many, many people, mm. of which we are too. Well, James, how does this episode begin then? Uh, Fraser orders a beer, which seems like a sensible thing to do at a bar Mm -hmm. Uh, the bar staff aren't quite uh, responding to him just yet because they're all a bit occupied they're not very attentive are they no No. but they are reading journal articles journal articles sure Uh, scientific journals basically although whether they're taking them in is a different matter but woody's reading an article in newsweek norm has got the scientific american out and Sam has a, a more suitable uh, ad for hair conditioner. Woody's reading on genetic coding, doesn't understand a word. He's happy that he's finishing the article soon. Norm, <laughs> in Scientific American, has read that they have isolated the gene that causes arthritis, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you said, Sam is reading an ad for hair conditioner. <laughs> Yeah. And Sam, Sam's hair does get a, a few nods in this episode, doesn't it? Yeah, he likes his hair conditioned and soft and, and not dry, wet, <laughs> Slight, slightly damp <laughs> at all times. It turns out these magazines are all just part of uh, Cliff's paper round. Uh, paper round is probably a bit <laughs> reductive of uh, his job, but uh, yeah, they're all out of his uh, postie bag. And so they're about to go back on their rounds. I just want a copy of Paperboy, you know, the Nintendo game, but dubbed with just clavin noises, just, eh, <laughs> here's a paper. <laughs> to be honest, given how difficult that game is, I don't think there'd even be time for one of Cliff's anecdotes to get out before you died. I thought it was oddly sinister when the Grim Reaper starts chasing you. <laughs> like... I was like, okay, dog's fine. And you're like, tap, 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 tap. But then then the Grim Reaper starts chasing you. are like, what is, what's going on with this poor lad? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's our card open. Uh, Cliff takes all the magazines and gives them to their rightful owners. We do have a, a sort of second open here, um, at least in the, the episode I was viewing, had a recap uh, of the previous episode, uh, Rebecca's Drunken Concerns. Uh, with her future marriage to Robin Colcord. John and I discussed 
that episode last week, but essentially she went, I don't love him, Sam, and I want you. Yeah, and, I, and I'm here today because John was so upset um, he couldn't bring himself to watch the uh, what might ensue in this episode, so I'm standing in as emotional support for, for James. He dusted his hands and went, I'm out. <laughs> I, uh, I can't bear it. So we brought Barry in with the big guns. <laughs> Fraser's still on the karaoke machine. Yeah, and he's actually quite good. He is good. I'm impressed. But I, I, I imagine that uh, the actor uh, has some history in musical theatre. Yes, very much so. Big theatre kid he was. There's some pictures we have seen of Kelsey Grammer floating around from must be sometime in the 70s. I want to say mid-70s at, at latest, you know, where he's got, you know, like uh, almost Kurt Cobain type hair. Yeah, big, big flowing locks he had. Very theatrical. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine Kelsey Grammer with big flowing locks. Were they quite high on his head? Because that, that forehead is some part of his image, isn't it? Yes, is the answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very different look. <laughs> yeah, it's from uh, from what we know him as today. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have to have a look as well. What a handsome chap! We're just waxing nostalgic over over the hair that was lost. Anyway, back in 1991, he's on the karaoke machine uh, singing "You're Just in Love," which is a catchy ballad, isn't it? It is, yeah. I, I, I'm enjoying his performances more and more. I hear singing and there's no one there. I smell blossoms but the trees are bare. All day long I seem to walk on air. I wonder why. Please, get him off the damn karaoke machine. <laughs> He's been on there for three days. Just make him stop. Absolutely lovely... I say lovely. It's a really well-timed scene, this this opening with Fraser on the karaoke and Cliff and Norm beg Lilith to stop him. And she says she only knows one way to do that, uh, which is to... Commandeer. Commandeer the mic and join in, knowing that his vanity means he wouldn't want to watch anyone else. He'd only want to be up there himself. And the joke in the episode is that Lilith isn't a very good singer. Now, I think... Within the realms of Cheers, they're meant to portray Lilith as not being particularly charismatic, right, as a singer. But drunk Lilith, she, you know, <laughs> different person. But B.B. Neweth, of course, Broadway singer, went on to play Velma Kelly in Chicago. Mm. Yeah, so I think the joke is mainly at the character and their uh, demeanour, not uh, of their singing ability. Yeah, and the way she times that scene to perfection and walks over to Frasier and takes the mic out of his hands and it's perfect, instantly starts singing. I can only think of one thing, but it's pretty drastic. Anything. Listen up for a sec, man. Fellas, hey, 
always leave them wanting more. So Sam, as we saw in the previous episode, has spent the evening trying to console a very drunken Rebecca who comes to the conclusion that she doesn't love Robin and uh, passes out in Sam's arms. And this is obviously the next day. Sam runs into the bar to warn the rest of the bar patrons that Rebecca's going to pull out. She doesn't love him and the wedding's going to be off. Now, while this is plausible uh, because of Rebecca's actions last night, the gang don't believe him. They think it's on an elaborate ruse. Hmm. The desperate pleas of a desperate man. <laughs> and it's a very cheers joke, the way it's carried out. Um, yeah. The immediate turnaround. Rebecca sailing through the door in full uh, white wedding dress moments later, excitedly. It's a big sitcom trope, isn't it? Mm. The bride bursting through the door um, often. In some ironic moment, you know, the first episode of Friends started that way. I think Vicar of Dibley had a moment much like it. It's it's a it's a thing that happens because it's such an obviously iconic uh, image. Mm. A bride in a white wedding dress. Uh, so she's excited. She's got a hairstylist with her, and she's ready for the big day. And she doesn't seem to remember anything about the night before, despite Sam's uh, prodding. Have you heard of the philosophical parable, Who Shaves the Barber? Uh, no. And before you carry on, this is not where I expected to, <laughs> to end up. It is relevant. Basically, right? if you go to a town and you see two barbers, right? One who's kind of shabby, you know, uh, he's got you know, rough hair and stubble and he's kind of untidy. And there's another barber with well-groomed, you know, suits mm. and everything, you know, polished, smells nice, whatever. Which barber would you go to? I see where this is heading. And you'd go to the one who was shabby because he's done the nice hair of the other person. Mm. Yeah. Jonathan's hair. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. He, the uh, hairstylist has fabulous hair. It's it's not a mullet. It's kind of like a bun at the top and really long at the back. It's strange, isn't it? It's very eighties. It, it's a collision of two worlds. It's a teddy boy quiff meets a hillbilly mullet, but then wrapped in a lovely tidy package. It's quite something. <laughs> it's, it's relaxed flock of seagulls. Yes, I see. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> flock of seagulls who have found some chips, and they're like, "Yeah, this this will do." <laughs> they don't don't need to run so far away. They could sit right there. <laughs> there, that's why I brought up that parable, <laughs> and all for a, a character that appears for probably about ten seconds in the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, they have to rush doing Rebecca's hair. Don't have time for. Uh, Curtis, I'd have to do that trick with the blow dryer. I don't think that's something you should say to Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sam gets into a bit of an altercation with Jonathan because one of Jonathan's products is a hair gel that only dries Sam's hair out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam, not Sam, Ted Dancer did play a hairdresser in Taxi. Yeah. Yeah where he did Elaine's hair, the character Elaine. So there's a lovely joke 
when Rebecca asks the bar for something old, something borrowed and something blue. I have my new wedding dress and now all I need is something old, something borrowed and something blue. How about Norm's liver? <laughs> I am almost finished with it. <laughs> what would you get if you wanted something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue? I think a repress of a Miles Davis album would cover all four as long as it hadn't been opened before. <laughs> yeah, that's very efficient of you. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Just... Oh, where does the borrowed bit come from? Oh, someone else owns it. <laughs> <laughs> They've recently bought it, but it's, it's you know, old because it was originally made years ago. It's new because it's not been opened. It's theirs, so you're keeping it momentarily. And it's blue because it's Miles Davis. I'm an efficient man. <laughs> you are. Are you planning a wedding, James? No, but I've got my sister's uh, wedding coming up next year. I don't think she'd be too impressed if I just went, here you go. <laughs> well, you, you could be the borrowee. Yeah, that's true. And you can make it happen for her. Yep. I'm sure she would appreciate your efficiency, James. She'd appreciate the efficiency. She'd just be, uh, when very Sean Connery there, she'd just be puzzled <laughs> by the item. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think uh, I've ever thought about this, to be honest. Something old, something new, borrowed and blue. I will have to put that on my to-do list, James, because uh, I'm sure I'll get married fairly soon. Stick it on your Christmas list. I only want four items. <laughs> After this, Fraser asks Rebecca if he can sing at the wedding, uh, which Rebecca accepts without a second thought. And cue Fraser getting really excited. Our next scene is him setting up the karaoke machine at the back of the City Hall registration room. Yeah, although it's no longer used as a City Hall, people still use it as a wedding venue in that real life. Ah. Yeah, because of its historical significance, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. And and I was initially, it's only when I thought about it, and obviously um, Robin is now uh, stripped of his coffers, so is what <laughs> <laughs> I've expected something lavish, but obviously without money, this is just a registration wedding, isn't it? Yeah, uh, he doesn't have the money and he doesn't have the time, you know, gave three days notice, basically. Mm. A lack of ceremony, perhaps, but a perfect setup all in one room or two, as we find out. Two, yeah. For, for this, this scene. So Sam turns up with evidence from Rebecca's apartment, which he's broken into remarkably easily. Uh, um, he's got pizza boxes, her dressing gown, empty bottles of wine or champers or something. And he's desperate to get Rebecca to remember that she doesn't want to marry Robin. I don't understand. Rebecca, well, no, I do understand. Never mind. I was going to say, I don't understand how Rebecca acknowledges her apartment was a mess. And clearly she knows that there was pizza boxes and alcohol everywhere, but she doesn't remember how drunk she got. Or maybe she did remember how drunk she got, but just nothing that happened. Yeah, that's that's plausible. We've all been there, James. We have. Sometimes you do need that reminder. I was in a shared house once and I was feeling worse for wear come the morn, but I was also early 20s, so I could manage it at the time. Then I came downstairs and I saw the plates of uh, husked limes. And I went, oh. 
I remember now. I remember the bad thing. Do you, did you have a lime off? We had many shots of tequila. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. Uh, and then I walked into the kitchen and I went, when did we buy baby sham? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a oh, night. Yeah. I sent a picture of it to one of our other hosts, Troy, the collection of bottles. And I went, this was between four of us. And he, he just went, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how, because alcohol is essentially just poison, isn't it? Yeah. And and your body's <laughs> sort of fun response to that poison is to make you a bit giddy and have a good time. Depends on the drink. Mm. Yeah. Which shouldn't be surprising because different poison affects people in different ways. Yeah. yeah. Well, in this case, it seems that bottles of champagne uh, wipe Rebecca's memory. Mind bleach. Mind bleach, yeah. She can't remember a thing. So it seems no matter what Sam does... It doesn't work. He shows her the apartment artifacts and she remembers something. And it's that she left her garter in the car. Yeah. So she sends Sam to go get it. And he sends Woody. <laughs> good, good delegation. So we have a lovely scene with Norman Cliff as well, arriving at the event. And Cliff, <laughs> Cliff it seems, has previous here. Uh, he's recognised by security. He loves uh, City Hall. Yeah. So at first, Norm persuades the security to let him in, but tells him to keep an eye on him. Yeah. Whatever he's done, it has caused trouble. Mm. Eventually, they do whisk him away. Yeah, because he has the audacity to start another one of his uh, long-winded uh, stories. I don't know why people get so nutty during weddings. Yeah, compared to some cultures, we got it easy. Take to Anabis in Central Africa. <laughs> now, there's a ceremony. See, they get the love birds and smear with a mixture of honey and sweet oil, then it's off to the anthill. Sorry, this man's bothering me. It's all good. Why don't you come with me, pal? Buddy arrives, but garterless. Mm, yes. Yeah. And what does he have instead, James? Jumper cables. <laughs> Which would do in a pinch. I, uh, I accidentally put a pun here uh, where I said... Sam tries to slap some sense into Rebecca. Uh, she is shocked. Uh, luckily, Woody arrives with jumper cables. <laughs> uh, Very good. <laughs> well, she thinks that jumper cables are a ludicrous suggestion, basically. And he, I think he just leaves. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> he just goes back into the main, main room, doesn't he? Because uh, Rebecca and Sam are arguing. And there's a there's a back and forth slapping during this scene, which is Sam slaps Rebecca to snap her out of it, um, which is a very sort of of its time, isn't it? Films, particularly in the 60s, 70s, always had a man slapping a woman to snap her out of it. Luckily, Rebecca can sl- slap Sam back. Yes. Uh, yeah. Nice nice to give her the power back. Yeah. Um, there's a scene in... War of the Worlds, mm. the early version, not the Spielberg version, where a woman, the main character, is screaming hysterically. I think a priest uh, gets killed, walks towards the beings, and the male hero slaps her and she thanks him, which is nice. I see. Well, luckily we've moved on. <laughs> Even within Cheers, attitudes have, have changed because... Sam and Diane had a 
slap debacle. I, I don't know what the correct word for it is. Let's go with slap debacle. And when that aired, people were like, ooh, that's not okay. He, uh, you know, that is abusive because he'd started the slap and then she slapped him back. And But it was quite tense watching it. This one doesn't feel as tense. No, because it's 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 played more as a the action of the slap is in a sense to it's an epiphanous moment. Yeah, and it's to, to literally jog someone's memory. It's an attempt to jog someone's memory. It's not okay, but it's it's more played. It's not seen as aggression. No. Then Robin finally arrives. Uh, it's been a while. He has a great setup, and I hope that he's been working on this pun for years or at least months, you know, since his lockup. Do you remember the day we first made love? And I surprised you by flying in Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers to sing for you. Of course I did. That was a wonderful present, Robin. Well, I thought it would be sweet if um, I could find some way to relive that memory. On our wedding day, now that I'm finally unchained. Oh, my love, my darling. Oh, no, no, to me, he'll always be the other righteous brother. I'm uh, ready to start. Who's this bozo? I'm Bobby Hatfield. Yes, Robin gave him to me as a present. He's going to sing at my wedding. Isn't that wonderful? So he's in and I'm out. Oh, fine. Instead of my personal gift of song, I'll just get you a set of steak knives. So you can cut out my heart again. The other righteous brother, <laughs> in, a, in a nod back to uh, the earlier episode where righteous brother number one was brought in to sing for Rebecca. Yeah, righteous brother number one being Bill Medley. Righteous brother number two, this one being Bobby Hatfield. And there's one more player in this farce, and I think we'll introduce him because uh, him and Woody have uh, some confusion. And then we'll go into the cast list. Mm. So, yes, this uh, other player is Ed. Yes, who is the officiator of this wedding. But Woody doesn't know which title to give him. So uh, his first attempt is father. Not a priest, son. (laughs) And then your honour, not a judge. And hence, what shall I call you then? Calls him Ed. We had that at a... It's a darker... Uh, Snow, but we had that at my granddad's funeral where it was held at a non-denominational building of of sorts. It you know, had religious motifs to it, but a non-denominational building. And we didn't know what to call the officiator, so we settled with Memorial Dude. Hmm. Well, I'm sure we'd be quite pleased with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should have learned his name, to be fair. <laughs> Memorial, <laughs> Memorial Dude sufficed. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh... Yeah, Ed, tell us all about him, James. Yeah, well, in this episode, we've got uh, B.B. Neweth as Dr. Lilith Sternan, Roger Reese as Robin Colcord, Bobby Hatfield as Bobby Hatfield, the other righteous brother. After Bill Medley, he also has been in Beach Ball, The Ballad of Andy Crocker, Mugen, or Mugen, it's a game. Mugen, I don't know. And The Debtors, uh, and has provided songs for the soundtrack for Go Go Mania, Shindig, 21, Feeling Minnesota, and 20 to 1. Ray Strickland as Ed. He also appeared in Matinee Theatre, The Last Wagon, The Danny Thomas Show, The Ford Television Show, Crossroads, The Millionaire, Father Knows Best, 
Broken Arrow, The Return of Dracula, Mike Hammer, M-Squad, Wagon Train, Perry Mason, The Rockwood Files, Dynasty, MathNet, Wise Guy, Seinfeld, The Nanny, Days of Our Lives, and many more. Paul Wilson as Paul Crapence, who will come into his own shortly. Uh, Ron Abel as Jonathan. This is his only acting role. Huh. But he was a composer for The Town That Christmas Forgot, and was in the music department for Nightcap and I Love Lucy's 50th Anniversary Special. He does look like an 80s musician. We've got to give him that. (laughs) George Case as Security Guard. This is his only acting role, but he was a producer for Terror Trade, Behind the Bomb, and Inside Story. He was also a director of Everyman's screenplay The Bill, Casualty, Pie in the Sky, Screen 2, Body Language, and Seesaw. I'll tell you, for his only acting role, he did a pretty good job. Uh, Lee Allen is uncredited as bar patron. Susan Evans, Don Bennett, and Joan Carey are uncredited as wedding guests. As is Phil Perlman, by the way. He is there. (laughs) Not listed on IMDb, but he is there. Thank you, James, for setting the record straight. I'm I'm having words with you, IMDb, doing Phil dirty like this. So we have two virgin actors on the set. As in that you've never acted before, yes. Yes, uh, well, and, and it appears to be their only acting job, and both do sterling work, I'd say. Yeah, good for them. Mm. Yeah. So where are we, James? Well, Bobby Hatfield is singing Unchained Melody uh, via the karaoke machine. To which Frasier has now been reduced to a button-pushing understudy. <laughs> That's a great insult. <laughs> and Lilith reminisces about the song because it reminds her of the first time Frasier and Lilith watched Ghost. That's a lovely song. That's because we're close to the speaker. Every time I hear that song, it reminds me of the first time we saw Ghost. Hey, Lilith, songs do make you remember things, right? Almost definitely. Aw. I do wonder how many times they've watched it since. I'd say they've watched it at least three times. I think if they've watched it only two, it's not worth bringing up. (laughs) Yeah. There wouldn't be happy memories about it, you know. I've seen it at least twice. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen it probably in in the region of four or five times, given how many times it's been on telly. Yeah. This is where Sam asks, you know, music helps people remember, doesn't it? And Lilith wants to tell him about the science behind it. He has no time for that. What do you think? is the uh, sense that triggers memory the most? There is a scientific correct answer. Well, from my own experience, I'd go with smell. It is smell. Yes, correct. There's, there's, there's certain smells. In particular, there is one deodorant, I think it is. It might be a sort of a body spray or something like that. But from an ex, uh, not, and not an ex that had a particularly big effect on me and you know it wasn't a long relationship but for some reason that smell uh, of that body spray which i imagine is fairly generic but i don't smell it much these days occasionally will just take me back to you know an early age is it coconut <laughs> why would it be coconut i i just like the idea of uh every time troy takes his hair down because he's got <laughs> big hair and he has coconut shampoo you just you just look wistfully into the distance <laughs> wouldn't that be a thing if uh, troy <laughs> triggered all my past affections there'd be some freudian thing there to 
to unpack. Oh yeah, that would be a, a difficult moment in the office. <laughs> you, you see me sort of wandering over to him in a daze. <laughs> uh, that's why I put it up, just because I thought it would be uh, funny. <laughs> and when you know Lilith does confirm, but Sam doesn't need the details, that music can trigger memory. He then tells Bobby Hatfield to sing We've Got Tonight. And the moment I like about this is where Sam sees the look on Bobby Hatfield's face and tries to sing the first line in order to go like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. It's her other favorite song. We got tonight. She sang it to me just last night. Who needs tomorrow? As though Bobby Hatfield doesn't know how to sing. (laughs) Yeah, and he does a reasonable job, does Bobby, in this episode, uh, but not stellar. I actually think that Frazier was doing a, a as good as, if not a better, a job in his early performances. Yes. Is it because Unchained Melody is sung in two parts? Uh, perhaps. And it's that harmonising which makes it sound like it does, because Bobby Hadfield does have a high voice, mm. you see in this episode. So you can hit the high notes. It's like when you hear Simon and Garfunkel. They sound great harmonizing. Paul Simon sounds quite good. But the high notes are all Garfunkel. Mm. Yeah. And quite remarkable as well, those those harmonies. That's, I know what's on my playlist later, James. I know it's not going to be on the Cheers playlist because it's not in the episode, but Simon I do fancy a bit of Simon and Garfunkel. Bridge Over Troubled Water, the harmonies in that are fantastic. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, we have re- digressed into our own uh, music catalogues. They're walking up the aisle. Rebecca does recognise the song, but she doesn't know where from. Hmm. Mm. Mysterious. It, it, it triggers something, and uh, she reverses her walk uh, and just plays the walk backwards out of the room. <laughs> yeah, because they pause at the altar. Then at the altar, she has the epiphany and does the back step and into her, essentially her dressing room, and then seems to have locked herself in. Yes. Uh, So cue lots of people first trying to get in, um, but then Sam and Robin disappear to try and find the spare key. Meanwhile, Norm, Cliff, Carla and Paul start eating the cake. (laughs) Very little waiting time for these people. Yeah. And as we find out shortly, it's not only the cake they also open all the presents as well. Yeah, which I've, I've learned from bitter experience that when you buy presents for, for someone and for whatever reason they can no longer receive them, there's no use you having them because they're not for you, you know. They're often, uh, often made for someone else, designed for someone else. <laughs> but as for the cake, they, they have a solution. They can turn it into a single-layer deal. Yeah. This yeah. is very much like when I was younger and I would steal chocolate bars out of the cupboard at home. Mm. And there's only so many you can steal out of a a packet before it becomes very obvious that that's not a packet anymore. I used to I used to shuffle there's a bit be 10 Mars bars in a packet and I I'd, I'd take one out and then shuffle the packet so it looked full still. Um but when I got down to two or three uh, the game was up. Yeah, it's like when you, um, not you specifically, but it's, it's something I've seen <laughs> where it's where someone wants to take a slice of pizza from pizza, but in order to be sneaky, 
to not let people know that they take a slice. They just take the same portion of a slice from each slice so that you can still tessellate them together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> a lot of work. But... <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's very smart. Just becomes a slightly uh, smaller circumference pizza. Uh, well, so yes, they are slowly getting through the cake as our story continues. Ed is bored. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed this with Ed. He is bored and despondent towards the whole event. It's not that he's getting impatient. I just think he's seen so much sitcom drama before. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Ed's Ed's tired of life. That becomes quite obvious. (laughs) And Rebecca needs someone to talk to. And for some reason, a cake-fingered Paul volunteers. Yeah. Um, although isn't humoured, he walks in and is kicked out immediately by Rebecca. That was his chance. That was his chance at glory. But he rightfully says, well, he can't help anyone. He doesn't want to be helped. Yes. And goes back to licking his chubby fingers. <laughs> a, bit, a bit harsh there, Barry. You could have said frosted. <laughs> Sam uh, enters the room instead of Paul. And Rebecca talks to Sam about she remembered everything that she said and doesn't love Robin. Sam seems to have more weight in this argument. So he goes in to tell uh, Rebecca that she doesn't love Robin. (sighs) Only loved him for his money. And this is where Rebecca slaps him in the face. Yeah, gets her revenge. And the audience goes, ooh. (laughs) Ooh, you go girl. That's a proper you go girl moment. And she is appalled that Sam thinks this, and, and she's going to show him as she stomps back into the aisle. Yeah. Making it all the way to the vows this time. Yeah. Robin's vows, lovely. Robin's vows are lovely, but when he says we prepared our own vows, I go, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 you found your own vows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you better credit the original writer here, Robin. It's, uh, it's to be fair, it was public domain. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's Sonnet 18 by William Shakespeare. And, you know, Roger Rees got his start with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And him delivering this sonnet is the most emotionally vulnerable we've ever seen, Colcord, I think. And Rees does a stellar performance in delivering this soliloquy, essentially. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a stay. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven doth shine, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade. When in eternal lines to time thou owest. As long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. All the wedding guests are impressed and enamoured by what he's saying, but I think, like me, lost track of what what the point actually was, (laughs) what he actually meant. There's a split here between we've seen Robin at his absolute, probably most vulnerable, but at the same time, he didn't write it. So it it seems almost cheap at the same time. Yeah, but sometimes 
are those words can express what one is feeling, even if they themselves can't. Yes, that's true. And it's very heartfelt. And he's certainly at that point, knowing how the episode must end, I really felt for him, uh, despite his... Um, Indiscretions, and yeah. crimes and <laughs> misdemeanors. Yeah, he genuinely looked like Rebecca was the one. She does not feel the same. No. I only loved you for your money. <laughs> and then she's lamenting over her decision in the office. Carla is unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a comedy, so we take it as a comedy, but Carla is essentially telling Rebecca to how she could kill herself. <laughs> yeah. It's really dark. Yeah. And, and I like to think that in her own way, that's her snapping Rebecca out of those that dark place. You think that what Carla's trying to do, not necessarily <laughs> succeeding, but what she's trying to do is go to the most extreme, I'm saying this in quotes, solutions or answers to Rebecca's dilemma so mm. that Rebecca can gain context, I guess, and realise that she needn't uh, yeet herself off the Prudential building. Yeah, which I hope is the case. <laughs> yeah. But Carl is quite a dark character. I mean, she's, she's brutal. So you never know with Carl, but it's still funny regardless. Sam enters. After, after Carol leaves, uh, Sam comes in. He says he's got good news and bad news. Yeah, and the bad news is that Robin's here and he wants to talk to her. And, what, and what's the good news, Barry? There is no good news. He, he lied. <laughs> I, I must try this at work one day. The good news is that Rebecca's hair has retained its bounce. <laughs> yeah. Robin comes in. He questions, you know, whether she truly doesn't love him. And she says, yes, she only loved him for his money. To which he replies, I may have stashed some of that money away. Six million dollars. Yeah. Would six million dollars stashed away in secret change your mind? And she goes, no. No. And then he goes, well, tough. <laughs> yeah. He reveals the money and then disappears with it slung over his shoulder. Yeah. Rebecca thought he was bluffing. Yeah. Sam goes, that's the bravest and strongest thing I've ever seen you do. She goes, I thought he was bluffing, Sam. <laughs> and <laughs> runs out the office. Back to, I was going to say, Squero Uno. Squero is not a Spanish for square. <laughs> yeah. You get the picture. Yeah, and, and, and actually a long, drawn-out episode. Uh, I say yeah. episode as in episode in Rebecca's story arc. Yeah. That now will come to a close. Yeah, but it was quite packed. A lot of plot points, I think, mm. in this in this aired episode. And a good one. I really enjoyed it. And, and I have to say that this is what Rebecca, uh, Kirsty Alley, is best at. Yeah. She's so good at jumping between extremes yes. and and her, her the difference in her strong voice and her crying voice and her unsure there's so such good range there but yet it still seems like the same character mm. yeah. yeah and it's such a pleasure in watching her go from indecision to when she turns to sam and says i'll show you i'm getting married uh that's such a sort of strong voice she puts on and yeah brilliant Cliff. Oh, it's Cliff, Barry. Cliff, 
they cool. let him escape <laughs> <laughs> after he was locked in a, in the basement of the city hall there. Yeah, you know what you did, Cliff. Has he still got cake all over his hands? Yeah, there's some substance on this on the privy here. Cliff, come on, son. Not very professional, Cliff. He is not. You heard me. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. Ed, the Justice of the Peace and our solemn, disinterested character throughout the episode. Why does he want to hurry the wedding on? What's he got to do? Oh, you know, I've forgotten. I didn't think it was a like a, a particularly punny line or something. Um, no, not a strong pun, but he actually returns to it at the altar by accident. Is it something like uh, his daughter's graduation or something? No, he's got fishing licenses to hand out. Oh, which is why he's fish and game commission, of course, mm-hmm. which is where he gets his wedding license from. Yeah, over to you, James. What is Paul reading in the cold open? It's not said by name, but you do see it on screen. Oh, Time magazine? It's a good guess. It's wrong. It's Psychology Today. Ah. Stole that out of Fraser's back pocket, no doubt. Yes. I think in Fraser's back pocket, you would have found, you know, US Top 40 or Billboard Top (laughs) top 40, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, here's one for you, James. A couple of related questions. Room names. Firstly, what's the name of the room they hold the wedding ceremony in? A conference room. Yeah. And the little private room, uh, Rebecca's dressing room, uh, what number does that have on the door? 29. Uh, the two is right. Now, I thought there was a two in it. Uh, it's 201. It says private um, 201. Um... You know room 201. Do I? No, no. <laughs> it's just an. It's just a room. I was thinking of room one hundred and one, which interestingly is in the book. It's actually a room that's full of your darkest fears, isn't it? Hmm. Yes, this is true. Well, talking about that room, and I don't know if this is anyone's darkest fear, but who is the picture of on the wall in the uh, small room at the back of the conference room? The guy with the kite. It is Frank- the guy with the kite. Yeah. <laughs> Franklin? Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. And do you know why I know not only that that's Benjamin Franklin, but also that it's the guy with the kite? Because you learn things in life and you've retained this information. That's that's very reductive of my story. <laughs> Essentially, that's what happened. <laughs> um, that's how I know most of my facts. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember it from Day of the Tentacle. Oh, right. Well, there's a uh, Day of the Tentacles, an old Amiga and various other systems, I'm sure, but puzzle game along lines of Secret of Monkey Island. Yeah, I think they reference him in Back to the Future as well with the, you know, 1.81, gigawatts. Yeah, and uh, the kite as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's a, a scene in Day of the Tentacle where you have to put a key on a kite string to catch the lightning. Yeah, yeah. kite guy. It's pretty ridiculous. (laughs) What toppings were on Rebecca's pizza? Oh, pepperoni? No. Ham and pineapple? Mm, You're close. 
But uh, <laughs> pineapple was there. <laughs> it, it was Canadian bacon and pineapple. Ooh. Yeah. Odd combination. What makes a bacon Canadian? Where it was born. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, by It's last call. What is the house special? I like the sound of this Canadian bacon and pineapple. Okay. Are we going to have that on a wedding cake? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Let's go. Let's go all out. Yeah. And what, what are we going to drink with that? Well, it is. I'm sure there's loads of champagne left over. Leftover champagne, indeed. Yes. There's a cocktail. Now that Robin is free, you know, completed parole, there's a cocktail called the Free Bird. Oh. Yeah. Very nice. So maybe Canadian bacon and pineapple pizza, you know, as dessert, we'll have a, a single layer of a wedding cake. Yeah. And drink will have a free bird. Yeah, I think we've got a nice uh, palate here. I think that sounds delightful, James. Well, with that, we'll be dining on this feast and sticking it in our face. Because <laughs> next week it is, I'm getting my act together and sticking it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent finish, James. Excellent finish. Talk to you then, everyone. Bye. Bye.